and welcome to episode 39 of the Brood Sages, Stormbound players with a head for the game. I am Freeloader, and with me, as always, is Sabaiku. Sabaiku, how's it going tonight? Fantastic. So we have some housekeeping to do right off the bat, folks. Um, we have some good news, some bad news. I always like giving the bad news first. Uh, and the bad news is that we're going to be ending the meta report. Uh, Sabaiku, <laughs> what gives? Yeah, it's a shame. Um, you know, we had a lot of fun doing it when we put it together, but a couple of factors here have influenced us. Uh, number one is we just aren't aren't getting the kind of uh, response from the community, the help putting it together that we had because it's been around for a little while. It's not new and exciting anymore. I get that. But also, I think the real reason why we're not getting help anymore is because it's not really needed anymore. Mm. I think that all the factions are in a pretty good state of balance right now you do kind of see all of them on ladder and you know all all of the archetypes are you know reasonably strong for their class uh you know even winter rush i played in the heroes league last season and it worked out great yeah you Um, were top 10 with it for for quite a big chunk of the month no for for the beginning of the month at least yeah um i didn't end there but (laughs) at least i got there uh and you know at this point, it's really kind of a lot more granular help that you need with the meta report in terms of card selection mm-hmm. rather than which faction and archetype is strong. Uh, right. And, you know, we're, we're just not really able to analyze on a card by card basis. We don't have the kind of data that's needed for that. Yeah. In some ways, I think this is a, a positive reflection on Sheepyard, right? Um, the game had arbitrage a, a year ago when we when we started the, the meta report. Um, there were factions that that had a very rock paper scissors sort of benefit in certain archetypes and when the meta shifted to a positive like mix for that particular deck it was mana from heaven you could fly through the ranks um and and so there was benefit in us kind of reporting to everyone hey here's the mix of what you're going to run into this mix makes this particular deck a really really good right now and deck b is really bad to play everything's in just a good balanced state right now i think i think we deserve uh, uh we deserve we we should give sheepyard uh, uh a deserving tip of the hat to say they've done a really good job of getting everything more or less into a balance where that arbitrage doesn't exist play whatever you want it's all good but none of it is super aggressive in the meta yeah some Um, might be a few percentage points higher some might be a few percentage points lower but in general it's all it's all pretty viable right and it's it's probably going to be more what you're good at playing is a bigger percentage bump than you trying to learn something new that you don't know how to play like even if it's slightly better into the current meta if you don't know how to play it it's going to be worse for you so it's just not useful anymore like it used to be um, so let's sweep that under the rug and say, okay, meta report, it's done. We will find something new. Hopefully you guys will like it. Uh, but let's move on from there to some great news. Uh, we've had him on as a guest, uh, and then we've now decided to ask, and no idea why he said yes, but uh, Thomas the Train Petri has decided to join us. Uh, we are extremely excited to have him as part of our team. Please welcome the newest member of the Brood Sages, Thomas Petri. Tom, how's it going tonight? doing pretty all right how about yourself (laughs) doing pretty all right (laughs) right. fantastic so with that we are in fact now the brood sages easily the second best stormbound related podcast in production as a reminder you can always follow us at brood sages 
on Twitter, or for all of you who act your age, not your shoe size, our email address is thebroodsages at gmail.com. Okay, guys, let's jump into it. There's an 800-pound sheep in the room. Let's address it. (laughs) (laughs) How are you guys enjoying the game since the newest balance changes? I'll start with Thomas. All right. So it's been a lot of fun. Uh, For the first few days straight, uh, just rogue sheep jammed in every deck like I said I was going to do. Yes. uh, (laughs) Some decks it's worked better in. Some decks it's uh, been uh, a lot worse, uh, to say the least. (laughs) And so uh, overall, it's just been a lot of fun testing it. But then even more so, I then decided to uh, try not testing it and play against opponents that don't have any uh whatsoever Ooh, okay and sabaiku how about you i have also been playing rogue sheep non-stop i upgraded it to five right before the well... uh, season ended in order to get those sweet sweet fusion stones back uh and because i was just legitimately very excited to play it uh, i've been testing it exclusively in winter um okay. just because that's what i was playing all last month i wanted to keep playing it uh so just trying trying different builds with various levels of speed and various levels of greed and uh yeah it's been a lot of fun i will say the thing i enjoy most about it is every game does feel different like i'm not playing swarm but i'm finishing my opponent off with forgotten souls i'm not <laughs> playing iron clad but i'm able to stop uh, just drop a one mana unstable build on my opponent's baseline to hold my front it's uh it's pretty great i have also been testing it i've tested it in two decks uh the winter rush deck uh mostly because icicle jev uh uh gives you a fantastic turn five where you then have additional mana to also play sheep um which feels like a a, a great great turn uh but i've also tried it in uh shadowfen rush and uh i basically made like an all four and under kind of ish deck uh with rogue sheep is kind of my top end to just if i run out of value use rogue sheep to get it and what i have found thomas we'll, we'll come back to you with this but but what i have found has sort of strengthened my original thought that mid-range is what really wants rogue sheep in the long run like everyone's trying it now you can jam it into anything you want But my experience has been when I'm playing a rush deck into a control deck and I get some super top heavy thing, even the one mana discount, like into an armed schemers, it's just like, I I don't want to play it anyway. This doesn't help me. But my opponent hitting a whole bunch of my two drops that now cost one with their rogue sheep get a much bigger advantage playing against me and being able to play defense against me than I do into them. That's fair. I think for the most part, I uh, agree and for sure that it doesn't uh, fit into rush. Um, there's It's just too inconsistent when you're trying to rush and you get whatever random wonky card from your opponent. So uh, it's going to be yeah in mid range and then like the heavy mid range decks seem to uh to work with it getting uh the the low cost cards to be able to play and keep your opponent's front off a little bit so i think that part is accurate for sure but sabaiku it does really work in this winter deck with the icicle jev turn right it does and i i have tested it a lot with that combo um just because icicle burst in Shivana helps to clear a unit off of the board gives you the extra mana to play the sheep more importantly it gets the cards out of your hand so that you can get the uh, full value of the sheep especially if you have sheep at a high level 
level. Mm-hmm. You're able to uh, pull cards from your opponent's hand. It's still early on in the game, so they probably do have some low mana cards that you can get uh, on the board right away. Either you know their GP the turn that you play that, or the very next turn you can play a bunch of cheap stuff, and that helps you kind of recover the tempo you lose by playing Giovanna in the sheep, where they both don't move and they don't play defense. All right, so are we prepared? And I'll ask this of both of you: Are we prepared to declare winter as the main faction for using sheep? Unfortunately, I think yes. I didn't want it to go there, but yes. <laughs> it's definitely just the most consistently able to use it, right? Like, I mean, look, the rogue sheep is very, very good, but it does have some downsides, right? I already talked about it doesn't move, so it can't play defense. It slows down your cycle, so you have to be able to make really good use of the resources in your hand or have mana gain in order to play additional stuff. Uh, you lose tempo by by playing it, and winter is really good at the mana gain and recovering lost tempo. Mm. Um, you know, and emptying your hand in order to play it, right? Again, like being able to accelerate your mana to dump other cards out of your hand to then refill, it, it just works so well in winter that that's why I haven't really tried it in anything else. Hmm. All right, and I'll ask Thomas this first. Do you anticipate any major jump upwards or downwards in sheep usage once the bug of no spell copying is fixed? Oh, God, it's going to go up so bad. Um, I do think they will have to nerf it at that point. Um, At the very least, sheep can't copy legendaries. If they do that, then everything will be fine and dandy, but... If it can be hmm. gift of the wise, we're going to be in a world of hurt. Yeah, I got to say right now, I don't think it's overpowered at all. I think it's really well balanced, but that's with the current bug where it's not copying spells. And if it does start to copy gift, it, it's going to change things. I have to say, though, like just taking a, a, a 30,000 foot view of all of this, it has been one of the most refreshing weeks of playing Stormbound since you and I first got started, Sabaiku, because this has felt as close to the excited morning of Christmas, opening up the the game and just trying out and seeing what you run into. So much experimentation. You don't know who's playing what. You don't know what to expect. This feels a lot, and, and, and I hate to keep going back to the same comparison, but it's the only other game that I've played that has any sort of similarities to to Stormbound. This feels like the the week right after an, a new expansion in Hearthstone. All the excitement, all the experimentation. It's just, it's been a lot of fun to play this week, has it not? It has for me. <laughs> not your opponents? <laughs> I plead the fifth. <laughs> when I'm still optimizing, it's probably pretty good for them. Plus, you know, you get crazy rogue sheep mirrors and that's mm. fun for everybody. Yeah, Thomas, what's the most number of rogue sheep you've seen on a board at the same time, you think? Uh, somewhere between 8 and 10. <laughs> when, when you can get zero mana rogue sheeps uh, oh, and you no. just put the entire board down, it's, yeah, it's pretty nutty. <laughs> so, so that begs a question. Is do, Have we figured out yet what the strategy is? Do either of you think you know, once, once you identify that it is a rogue sheep mirror... 
is it better to, if you can't play Rogue Sheep, is it better to cycle it out of your hand so your opponent can't copy it? Or is it better to wait for your opponent and accept that he's going to copy your Rogue Sheep, but then play yours right afterwards with the hope of getting a discounted Rogue Sheep? That's exactly what you want to do, or at least what I've been trying to do is get my my hand to be as low-cost mana cards as possible, and then it, when they play the Rogue Sheep, if they get a copy of my Sheep, then I dump my hand uh, with the increased chance that I'm going to get their Rogue Sheep, and then if I can't play that that two mana Rogue Sheep, I'm just going to throw it away so that they don't have the ability to get it back anytime or get a copy of mine anytime soon. Interesting. Sabaiku, have you have you started putting any sort of tactics into the the Rogue Sheep mirror? Oh yeah, I've been thinking about it and testing different strategies, and none of them really consistently work <laughs> because the games get real nutty. Um, yeah, a lot of it really depends on whether or not they copy your sheep. And uh, if you are willing to give them the chance to copy it, then you're kind of relying on them not cycling it back into their deck so that you can copy it again. It's, um, yeah, it it is tough. My comfort level basically gets to, if it's two mana, I'm okay leaving it in their hand because it's going to be harder for them to play multiple copies. It, if it's going to be one mana in their hand, get rid of it. Like, do not let them get a one mana sheep. They're just going to fill up the board on you. Yeah. I, I have actually found in uh, so so again going back to that um, uh, g- going back to that uh, 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 Shadowfen deck that I was testing. Um, it only has two one mana cards in it, right? It's got summon militia. It's got green prototypes. And if I go first and I have one of those two and I play it and then I hit rogue sheep on four, um, I have chosen to cycle it away because the odds of me finding the other one drop to be able to play one drop into rogue sheep on five seems too low. Like if I'm paying attention to my cycle. Uh, So I've just thrown it out of my hand to prevent my opponent from, because they're going to get to go on their five mana turn first. I don't want to let them do it. Yeah, but that's okay because for you in a rush deck, the rogue sheep is something you're playing on seven or eight mana. You play a couple cards, right? You play green protos, gifted recruits, and then rogue sheep and you get three cards from your opponent they're all discounted you can't really do a ton with it this turn because you've already used up all of your mana but that's okay it's going to give you a strong turn next turn that hopefully lets you uh overwhelm them and close out the game i will say the funny thing about rogue sheep right now is that it's doing a whole lot to equalize levels and matches yeah it's, it is kind of funny uh especially if you get something at level five that you don't have at level five uh or if you're used to it at level five right you pull your opponents uh you know say say witches and it doesn't it doesn't work the way that you think it's going to because you're not paying attention to the levels it adds a little complexity it does I, i'm i'm really enjoying it um parting thoughts before we move on the whole reason why we chose to put together episode 39 as early in the season as we did was because of how much the meta has shifted since (laughs) since prior to the rogue sheep update um so with that in mind are are there any thoughts any tactics any sort of like high level if you're going to build a deck around it here's what you should be doing if you're going to play a deck with it here's what you should be trying to do can we help our listeners out with any 
either strategies or tactics on uh, using Rogue Sheep. So, Baiku, let's start with you. Yeah, I will say I agree with you that I do think it belongs in a slower deck. Um, you know, Icicle Burst and Giovanna is a nice combo. It's not a necessary combo. Uh, Murs is nice because it gives you a zero mana token, just kind of something to, to help the sheep turn, right? The downsides are real. You do have to play around them. You have to try to dump cards from your hand. You do have to try to have other ways to play defense in your deck. Uh, but if you can make that work, you get a, a really good payoff for it. I don't think it's particularly strong. You know, it's a one or two mana seven strength, essentially, at level five, depending on how many cards you pull from it. It's just, it, it's reasonable. It allows you to do a lot on your next turn is kind of kind of what it is. It's like Frozen Core. You're playing something that doesn't move now for a mana discount on a future turn. And that that's really great if it pays off well. Uh, the payoff off for this is a lot more random because you're really relying on what your opponent has and it can be it, it can give you something really great it can give you a forgotten souls uh it can give you some garbage like you know like you said arm schemers that you can't really make use of um it, but that at least makes every game feel different it gives a little variety which i i think that the game really needs to uh, make it more and more replayable all right and thomas i did cue into an opponent who was running an uh, an Aaron Bladestorm Needle Blast deck. And let me tell you how frustrating it was pulling nothing but a one-mana discounted Aaron. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm sure that was uh, the greatest play that you ever made. <laughs> I cycled it into my deck and then copied another one a few turns later and realized, oh my gosh, my deck is just filling up with Aaron's and no spells. <laughs> nice. <laughs> so question is, who won? Oh, I did not. <laughs> uh, no, I'm not winning. Well, there we got it. If people are... Uh, irritated with rogue sheep then just play Aaron. yeah just play a spell deck all right any other thoughts so the only thing i really have um i don't have any deck building tips or anything like that yet just because there is so much potential with it and so much um so much to explore yet but the only thing that i have for a pro tip really is um you people that are playing sheep and you're getting a green prototypes do and you don't have like a use for it you just have a zero mana uh prototypes please quit throwing it out there all you're doing is essentially turning your opponent's gifted uh pro or green prototypes geez um you're throwing it out there and they've obviously got it in their hand too so they're just going to be able to make that trade and give the five strength to something else so you're essentially turning your free spell into them or their green prototypes into a gifted recruits that's a really good point. Yeah, they now have a yeah. one mana give. They have a one mana pog effectively. Exactly. Yeah, and and yeah, people they get that green prototypes and they just throw it out there. They like, I mean, like, yeah, if you've got a specific use for it, if you need to reset their front or if you need to to do an even trade or or whatever other those actual legitimate reasons, do those. Do not just throw it out just to throw it out because you are yeah, you're turning the their one mana uh, spell into a. Uh, yeah, potion of growth. But it's free. <laughs> but it's and, and, not. <laughs> there's a cost, we, yes. <laughs> we, we won't mention any streamers, but also if you uh, get something like, I don't know, Cordia and Siege Breakers, maybe don't play the Siege Breakers because you happen <laughs> to know there's a really good, really good use for that Siege Breakers if you wait a turn. <laughs> I will say that is definitely an underrated part. Just knowing what is in your opponent's hand, you you, you can see how to play around the cards that they have. And it, if you can kind of keep track of that, that really helps. 
you also know exactly when to concede, especially if you uh, play a sheep and you uh, you steal a uh, siren and you're on nine mana and your opponent uh, has you at 12 life. It's like, oh, whoops. Yeah, I, I can't clear his front, so I might as well just push the button now. Yup. All right. Well, um, I think with that, then, we're going to uh, move along from our main topic. And again, tip of the hat to, to Sheepyard. This has been, uh, I think, one of the most exciting first weeks of a month in recent memory, at least. Uh, possibly in the entirety of the time that I've been playing the game. Um, and we want to bring in our new segment. Our new segment is going to be called Deck Detective. Uh, Sabaiku, what is Deck Detective? All right, so the intent here is we're going to take a high-end deck, uh, probably found from the Discord in the high-end decks channel, a great place to go for resources. Uh, we're going to just dig into it. We're going to talk about what it does. We're going to talk about which cards have to be in there, which cards are tech cards, what are alternatives you can put in there. Just kind of uh, uh, dive into what the purpose of each card is. You know, we talked earlier about how the meta report wasn't particularly useful anymore because because it was too high level. This is our way of going a little bit more granular and breaking down uh, the individual card level. Yeah, and this is going to usually be something exceedingly recent within the last couple of weeks. We're trying to, to make these decks something that is currently either achieving number one or achieving sort of top 10 or really good success currently. So if you're looking for a new deck, to switch to, we're trying to provide for you an option. And uh, part of our analysis, as Sibaiku said, will be to try to help you, uh, those of you who don't have complete libraries, um, figure out kind of, you know, where can I find other options uh, for cards? Or uh, we'll also point out, if you don't have this card leveled up, just don't, don't, don't bother with this deck. <laughs> there will definitely be some of those like if, if you have me at level two maybe this tower deck isn't for you kind of a thing um all right so thomas can you give us our first ever uh, uh deck detective deck absolutely so this one was actually provided to us by uh or not necessarily provided we kind of just stole it from yep. the discord so uh, 100. <laughs> <laughs> so this one was uh posted by stony j25 and it's the deck that he's been using to hit uh number one in heroes league for for sure two months i think possibly though three months in a row now though so uh he's absolutely crushing it and should i just run on through the, the cards uh you can or i can I'm, whoever wants right. to take it is well, I didn't know if you just wanted to go through one by one or or the entire thing. But well, yeah, so. we'll, we'll 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 give the list first, and then we can we'll we'll pick it out. I'll give the list. Let's let's do that. Okay. So uh, starting from the lowest mana up to the highest, we go uh, green prototypes, dubious hags, gifted recruits, reign of frogs, wild saber paws, hunters, vengeance, toad, the elevated witches of the west, Loris, Ubes, broodmother Cordia, and then finally high priestess. Klaxi. Oof, this has a lot of legs in it, guys. Yep. It is solid. Very heavy, very high cost deck. Uh, obviously, a Shadow Pen deck, uh, you know heavy mid-range slash control because this deck really wants to uh just grind you down there's no runners in there other than saber paws ubis will oh, do a little a bit point. of chip damage but this is a deck that really just wants to control the board and make an overwhelming board that you can't remove Oof. 
I hadn't even realized that. Absolutely, you... we'll do that. I played with it a few times after he posted it, and yes, it's just going to just make your opponent lose all faith. Now, it's I have brutal. a question for you, Thomas. When you were playing this deck, did you have any match that lasted fewer than 25 minutes? I don't think so. <laughs> <laughs> so so just looking statistically at this, this is six cards from Shadowfen. Six cards uh, are neutral. But it's also five legendaries and and seven non-legendaries. Of the seven non-legendaries, two are spells. That's Reign of Frogs and Hunter's Vengeance. Interesting Hunter's Vengeance rather than Toxac. That's the first sort of why not card that I see when I'm looking at this. Thomas, Sabaiku, do either of you have a good reason as to why you would rather Hunter's Vengeance over Toxac? Yes, yeah, so, so when I was playing it, there was a few times where you just kind of get overran in the early game because, again, we're in Heroes League and you need the low mana cost cards and half this deck is uh, uh, you can't play it on your first turn. And so mm -hmm. if you, you're going first, you might just have to pass turn and uh, opponents can get across the board very quickly. And so you really need to be able to reset their front uh, fairly quickly and start making your progress so that by turn four or five, or four or five mana turn, you're going to be able to start getting value out of some of the big legendaries that are going to then start being able to come out. So that's really mm -hmm. what's going on is it's kind of like your lifeline in the early game. Right. So you're playing it when you don't have board presence, Toxic Sacrifice requires that board presence in order exactly yep. okay 100 sabaiku i don't see uh there's a six mana legendary that i'm thinking kind of belongs in a shadow fen deck with reign of frogs and i see claxi at eight mana w what happened what happened to the other one my guess is that he is running claxi specifically to counter bragda deck so his own bragda would be counterproductive there right you want to let your opponent make a board where Bragda sets everything to the same strength, and then Claxi just comes down and turns those all into your own ravens instead. Oh dear, so Claxi is the, the mirror tech. That's so, my guess, yeah. Yeah, that's a good theory. It is possible. The other possibility is, when I was running this deck, because Bragda got so rampant for a while, people learned how to play around it. When I was playing this, I was thinking quite a few times if I should swatch out Claxi for Bragda, mm -hmm. but there was so few turns where I could profitably play Bragda because people really are learning how to play around it and and not give you that those value plays. And so I actually 100% understand the reason why in this meta that Claxi is the uh, the right call because of that. Um, the opponent is just getting smart. <laughs> now, how did your opponents play around Bragda? Did they not leave you small things to trade into? Did they tuck small units where you couldn't access them? Exactly, both of those. Hmm. Okay, okay, okay. And then at six instead, Stony J is running Broodmother Cordia, which is just a nice proactive card, right? Bragda needs setup. Cordia can just come down offensively, defensively. Do you have front? Do you not have front? It doesn't matter. You can just put it wherever on the board at any time you have six mana to spare. Yeah, I've always liked Cordia. It is a lot of AoE resistant, not all AoE resistant. Um, uh, for instance, Hunter's Vengeance doesn't impact it. Toxic Sack doesn't impact it. Uh, unfortunately, I did find out that um, Aaron into Rain <laughs> destroys it. And for some reason, the, the month I really jammed Broodmother in my so Shadowfen rush. Aaron into Bladestorm? Yeah, Bladestorm, sorry. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, unfortunately. It those, was just... Those eggs are fragile. They sure are. Um... 
Ubis, we have, well, we have a construct. We have some ravens. We have uh, knights. We have toads and felines. That's a good amount. Oh, and we have dragons with cordia. That that that's that's six different archetypes. That that feels like it's a good deck for Ubis. Seeing Ubis and Hunter's Vengeance though in the same deck seems a little surprising. Any uh, thoughts on Ubis? Again, Ubis is just a proactive card. You can kind of just drop it down if you only get one ping out of it. It's fine if you only get four pings out of it that's good uh it's just something that you can play when you have five mana and you're not stuck on, with an empty board it just works all the time yeah i was definitely finding actually that ubis was the uh the win con for this deck um because you're just grinding so much value out of the board that some of the best plays were hunter hunter's vengeance to clear your opponent's stuff play prototypes and hags and then ubis and just keep pinging them for six and it doesn't take a whole lot of pings to be able to win so ubis is not a card then that you would think we can swap out for like like uh, Flameless Lizard. Nope. And that one is definitely a critical piece of the deck, for sure. Yeah, let's look at that. That's a good point. Let's look at the neutral cards in the deck, right? Green Prototypes, Gifted Recruits, Wild Saber Paws, Hunter's Vengeance, Loris, Ubis. So half the deck are neutral cards. Mm-hmm. And they're all just kind of generally useful neutral cards. Oh, yes, they are definitely all guns. You could put them in pretty much any deck at any speed and then all be all be pretty fine um and in here i think they really especially loris work to shore up the weaknesses of shadow fen yep absolutely right. when people start playing uh and in, in lines because they don't want you to get value out of your witches then you throw out loris to throw them off yeah one forces you to play into the other it's a it's a it's a nasty one-two combination it absolutely um, is so i think maybe maybe loris is the one that stands out as something you could get rid of if you did didn't have it at a high level and maybe play void surgers instead maybe even toxic sacrifice right really rely on the saber paws or rain to let you position a unit that you can then blow up and destroy your opponent's front but I, nothing I, nothing else works quite the same i think that's okay though um i, I will say one weird thing about broodmother cordia um that i found as a bizarre edge case but actually worked out really well if you really want your eggs to live and there's a way in which you can push their front back with broodmother into toxacking broodmother <laughs> it works out great uh because your eggs don't get damaged by the toxac so if if it works out where broodmother can uh trade into something survive the trade even at one or two health and then you toxac it um it if you can clear the the front like that and now suddenly uh your opponent has to come all the way back down to try to pop your eggs that is uh uh an effective thing um i like toxac i, I I'm, I'm i don't necessarily think it has to be in the deck but i feel like it would be a good inclusion if you had to take something out yeah but to to the point that thomas made earlier you don't want to take out hunter's vengeance for it because you are going to get behind on board early so that's really a critical right. card all of the three and belows right that that half of the deck you really can't change a thing there mm -hmm. um you know maybe you could take out wild saber paws for a lawless herd or something like that big thrust tigers big thrust tigers was my other thought it's, yeah. it's gotta be something cheap in order to just help you cycle through your deck and get units on the board and then on the high end toad witches and loris are all your defensive cards and yeah, but you could take those out but man do you you need to make sure that whatever you put in is equally defensive right exactly so so 
I, I like the thought of Void Surgers for Loris. Void Surgers isn't going to generate as much value as Loris will. Just can't. It's very difficult to get a board set up correctly for it. But it's not terrible as a replacement. It's certainly less expensive than the Legendary. I don't feel like Toad... Toad is a good value generator, right? Like, you get a good trade off it, especially when you have hags in your deck. But I don't think of it as much as a defensive tool as it is just something that's growing on the board and generating value for you. Well, it's defensive because it takes a two-for-one there. Um, possibly. Right? It, it kills something, it buffs itself, and jumps in front of another unit to kill that too. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. No, that's fair. I don't know, Thomas, do you see a card here that you're like, well, if you needed to, you could swap this out for something less expensive? I'd say probably Claxi or Broodmother. Um, probably not okay. both, just one or the other, but I'm not entirely sure what the uh, what the answer is when you swap one of those out. Everything Sheep. else feels very... <laughs> <laughs> That's a good point. Stony was playing this at a time when Sheep was not serving the same function that it does now, so you could probably jam it in there. Uh, nope. I, at least I don't think so. Someone else might, may be able to make it work, but I, I think I took one of them out. Because like I said, I in every single deck that in my library, I swapped out one card for Sheep. I don't remember what it was in this one. I want to say it was Galaxy. And uh, I was like, meh. No, so. I think it would be Broodmother. If, if if I was going to do it, I would do Broodmother. Galaxy um, feels too important in terms of both the mirror, but also... Um, uh, getting real late game value out of Reign of Frogs. If you're playing a deck with Reign of Frogs and you don't have Butchers, uh, then Reign of Frogs becomes much less impactful later in the game. That is true. Um, so you either need Bragda, you need Klaxi, or you need Butchers. Yeah, uh, so, so go ahead. Sorry. So with we have Reign. I don't want to get rid of Rain. We keep Priestess. I would say Broodmother co- goes out for Sheep if you wanted to try it. Yeah, that's reasonable. I look at Klaxi and Cordia as basically the two value generators that clog mm-hmm. up the board and help you win. And basically anything that, that creates a, a decent sized board would work in those spots. If you wanted to take out Klaxi for Bragda, like we talked about, that's pretty reasonable. If you wanted to take out Cordia for Bragda, that's reasonable. Just anything that creates value for you would work yeah the one thing i worry about with sheep in the stack is there's just you you really only have like a 50 50 chance of hitting a a card with sheep that you can play to empty out your hand (laughs) like on turn seven what are the odds you can actually get rid of three cards sheep included yeah this this deck is designed to go late though you do not need to play it on seven you could play it on 13 mana 14 mana well that's when you need to do it Yeah, I look at Toad and maybe think, you know, if I needed to replace that with something, um, Toad or Witches could both be Edric, again, as something that's kind of generally useful and neutral. Okay. Um, Toad or Witches could be Siege Breakers. If you're seeing a lot of structures, then maybe you want the Siege Breakers in there. Um, You know, Witches, I find, don't get a ton of value a lot of the time anyway, because to your point about Bragda, Thomas, um, people play around Witches when they play uh, when they play against Shadowfen. Mm-hmm. All right. So in general, then, to our listeners, we think that uh, if you have a lot of legendaries, this is a fun deck to try out. Um, but you really do need Ubis for uh, uh, for a win con with this. You can get away without maybe one or two of the others, maybe, maybe like one of the defensive and one of the value generating uh, each but definitely not both of the value generating or both of the defensive. Um, And then, yeah, uh, there are some other cheap. And the one great thing about Shadowfen is there are great cheap common 
or or rare at the most uh, cards that can can slide into kind of any deck. I'm thinking things like Helio Troopers. Yeah, that's a really good point. You know, if you wanted to get rid of Toad and just put in Heliotropus, it's probably still going to work okay. It's not going to provide the same amount of value, but if it's if your Heliotropus is high level and you can win some trades with it, it's a pretty reasonable card. Yeah, yeah. Right. In general, the goal of this deck is to just stall to the late game, clog up the board, and create overwhelming value. You know, the defensive tools that are in there are probably the best for that purpose, but you can put in some other stuff that would work just fine. All right. And with that, um, I know this is going to come as a shock to our listeners, but we actually have a card of the week this week (laughs) back by popular demand. Uh, It's been a while. Um, uh, Thomas, would you like to give us our card of the week? Harpies of the hunt. So (gasps) continuing on with the, uh, the Shadowfen conversation, uh, common mana cost three and has some great stats for the mana cost even at level one it, it goes from four five six seven eight all the way up to the top and the reason this thing is so fantastic across the entire board is again at, at that level one for all the uh, the new players out there uh four power for three mana is not a bad play whatsoever but then by the time it gets up to eight mana it's a amazing blocker for uh scrapped planners yeah this is actually part of the part of the reason why i wanted to uh include this as our card of the week when we originally selected it and then ran out of time for three episodes um uh, i had never thought of including this in a deck and then one c posted a Shadowfen deck in the discord that included it and i reached out to him and i'm like what this this card is unplayable i've never used it in a, a deck why is this here and he said oh well it's normally unplayable but right now there's so much uh, scrap planners out there. It was during like Ironclad's reign. And Sabaiku, it blew my mind that this card has just been sitting there this entire time for, for months of Ironclad's reign. And never once did I look at it and think, you know, <laughs> it's that's a nice a clean trade. It's a yeah. nice tech card in a specific matchup. Uh, it is basically a Fort of Ebon Rock, right? Three mana, eight strength at level five. But different from the Fort of Ebon Rock, like you can just play this on your baseline to open the game and it will move your front for you. It's not going to just sit there. Now, the downside is, you know, we've been talking about witches and toxic sacrifice. Like those work against it as a unit, whereas they wouldn't against uh, Fort of Ebon Rock. So it's kind of a, you know, pros and cons for playing Mm -hmm. it. Mm hmm. But, but, and I, I do want to point this out, like a lot of times we see a one mana ding, or pardon me, a one health ding at the same mana for movement. This is actually two bigger, is it not, than a Westwind Sailors? It is, yes. You are definitely getting a reward for playing something with no movement. Oof, that's a big boy for three mana. That's pretty solid. Um, I would think right away, Thomas, that uh, this is basically just mindless hordes in green is it not essentially yes which is also a decent card um back in april when the zuri um dark harvest deck really just took over the meta i was actually testing out mindless horde for a little bit because that was also again during iron Calad's reign unfortunately since it never had movement in that deck that's when i found big thrust tigers to be the uh, the better card in that deck but uh mm. mindless horde was definitely a contender 
in the deck. And you do still see people run Mindless Horde sometimes. Um, I'm thinking specifically of MKM. I know I've seen him run it in decks with Queen of Herds, but there you have the synergy where you're trying specifically to pull satyrs out of your deck. You have Queen, you have Moonlit Airy. Shadowfin doesn't have anything that works with ravens in the same way. It's just a pile of stats. That's a really good point. There isn't any raven synergy. Are there any other... Um... For lack of a better term, I guess I guess they are races, right? Uh, are there any other races that lack synergy in the game, or is it just ravens who got left out in the cold? Dwarves, frostlings, or no, frostlings have freeze. Frostlings do freeze, but not preferentially interaction with uh, other other frostlings, right? Well, yeah, they, like uh, frostlings do a specific thing a lot of the time, but they don't necessarily work together in the same way that satyrs have things that work only on satyrs. Constructs, mm-hmm. right? Like wink golems only works on constructs, for example. Right, exactly. But or, like uh, um, toads, uh, upgrade portal, right? Yeah, yeah. But toads, for example, like butchers doesn't have to pull from rain. The toads from rain or frogs is just the most convenient way to make a lot of one strength units for butchers. Hmm. All right. Okay. Yeah, I think this construct. Trucks and satyrs are the only ones I can think of that they, they get that kind yeah. of synergistic connection. Hmm. Yep, you're right. Interesting. How about that? Not something I had thought about before. But that's why this is different from Mindless Horde, right? Like it, it's kind of less worth running because you don't have that synergy. Well, right. So that that was kind of the next question I had was: so at three mana, I can get eight, but at five mana, I can get a flameless lizard, which is huge oh yeah dragons um, have uh dragons have in the same way. synergy yes. though right right so that's the thing is as a pile of stats at three mana it's pretty good but at five mana flameless lizards is not just a pile of stats it's a pile of stats with ridiculous amounts of synergy especially in shadowfen now with sunbeam right thinking to arthas's chonk beam for example as a deck that takes that uh, uh synergy and uh exploits it is it better like is there a sweet spot for where you want your pile of stats i for some reason thinking through most of the decks that i play i play my pile of stats to tank my front line and hold it at five usually it's ubis uh but it can also be flameless um three is not the mana that i choose for that what do you guys think four or five mana i i'm really liking my four mana cards Hmm. there's so many good four mana cards um the difference between this and flameless though is that flameless is a better strength to mana ratio Ooh, that's a good point as well for two more mana you get double the strength and it's still like relatively cheap right it's not like you're spending seven or eight on something it's five it's gonna tank your front line or play defense for you in a way that nothing else for that mana cost can your opponent just has no way to deal with it on five or six mana unless they have confinement which is not something you see widespread right now right i i i I normally ignore confine when i when i take a look at like a tank card um and i don't normally use towers for it i don't know why but i don't um when i look at the unit that i want to use for my tank to to hold my front line i usually think about it in terms of how many cards my opponent has to put into it to clear it ignoring confinement and this is not one this is definitely two cards right is there anything out there that can for the same mana uh clear an eight no there's nothing yeah there is in winter the three mana dragon that name escapes me for a second oh, yowling oh, yowling weavers yes. yowling weave. yep. okay so there is one card out there that can do it um 
at a high cost. At a high cost. Right, sure. Flameless is, you can't get away. There's no way you could do it with two, right? Flameless needs three cards. Basically, your entire opponent's next turn would have to be dumped into Flameless to empty it, right? Yep, yep. Yeah. So two notes. Number one, Mm -hmm. the reason why you don't use towers to hold your front line is because the only really good tower for that is unstable build. And the reason why unstable build is the only one that's good for that is because it does not get destroyed by a max level siege breakers oh good point right good siege good breakers point. is still pretty prevalent as a tech card not as much as it used to be a few months ago but you still see it mm-hmm, pretty mm-hmm. pretty regularly so you can't really rely on like a fort of evan rock to hold your front anymore that's true and what's the second thing you say there were two the, things the second thing is really we're talking about flameless lizards now this card's been out for like six months but people are really just starting to level it up and experiment with it in the past couple months other than you know like early on um with Arthas and the Chunk being right now it's starting to see widespread play. People finally start to get enough copies of it. I'm so glad you brought this up. Do you ever, as a, as an aside, uh, did you ever watch Seinfeld episodes? Yes. Okay. One of the things that made Seinfeld so great and, and I, I'm, I'm, I will stop this aside very quickly, I promise, um, was that they would often start with a joke and then the show would move on and then it would circle back to that original joke at the end. Like it opened and ended with the same concept, right? You just brought us all the way back to how great it feels to have a big, impactful change to the meta this month. So what's different about Rogue Sheep versus Flameless Lizards? It's been in the game for a year. And whether or not you wanted to, you've been collecting copies of it this entire time. Maybe you haven't been playing with it because it wasn't really a playable card unless you were maining control pirates um, until now. And then suddenly all those copies you had are relevant. And from a year, the economy of this game is such that it takes a long time before you accumulate enough copies to really make a card impactful. And so even if it is a phenomenal card like Flameless Lizards, Flameless Lizards is a great card, but it takes a while to accumulate enough copies for it to be relevant at your levels. Rogue Sheep's been out for a year. They make a change to it that makes it impactful, and boom, look at what happens. The game becomes completely new overnight. I wish this was possible with more cards. I agree. I agree. It's really um, a function of the resource generation in the game and the cost to level up the cards, right? Uh, you know, we we just did our six-month review uh, about a month ago now, and we said, yeah, it's great that Sheepyard has taken steps to improve resource generation, but the fact is you still need a lot of resources in order to level up your collection, and you can't really just spend it all on new cards that come out because you've got all the old cards you're still trying to level up at the same time. Well, unless you're a whale like Thomas. Thomas, uh, how long did it take you to, to, to get your... Uh, rogue sheep to level five did you already have it i have it already uh i've had it for probably almost like six months i don't even know what happened it was just like one day it was like oh that's random got that one to level five there was a lot of ones that i didn't even have at level five and that one was and i was like that's great (laughs) 
It's yeah, true. but now it is, isn't it? My Loris is my Loris is still level three. I had Rogue Sheep in level four with a handful of spare copies, even though it came out only a year ago, right? Like maybe that was a, a little sheepyard uh, promotion, just kind of uh, <laughs> up the weight on Rogue Sheep, make sure everybody uh, draws oh, 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 a little we, extra we, copies. Are we going tinfoil hat now? Oh yeah, we are. The drop rate, <laughs> the drop rate for a sheepyard was higher. For sure, um, we demand to know: Were you trying to force people to play Rogue Sheep? <laughs> <laughs> so um, the card of the week of the harpies the hunt ended up being three cards of the week which is uh ironically the amount that you guys have uh, missed right because mm-hmm. gone over harpies and now flameless and now sheep again Boom. here you go we've analyzed all of them this is where it was going to go anyway <laughs> um that's gonna end the main portion of this episode which means it's time for me to remind you to contact us preferably in our channel on the stormbound discord server you can always use twitter at brood sages you can email us at the sages at gmail.com we also have an additional way for you to reach out and support us we have a Gumroad account where you can become patrons of our work, although we use work very, very loosely. Check out the link on our Stormbound Kitty page. Uh, this week, we've heard from one of our listeners. It was Ubermensch. He guessed correctly, quote, Thomas, the third toad of the gang. I'm down for it. Also, according to Thomas's theory, the temples start coming and they don't stop coming. Well, okay. Uh, Temple of Life is for silver and below. Gold has lots of farmers, so it'll be totally worthless. Well, that's going to do it for this episode. For Sabaiku and Thomas, I am Freeloader. We are the Brood Sages reminding you to stay hydrated.